All right, we're going to go ahead and get started here with our Bible class, a new Bible class called Untangling Emotions, as you can tell from the PowerPoint screen. And as we go into this new class for the next five weeks, let's go ahead and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your mercies. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. And we just ask even now that you would be faithful to us, even as we take time to understand emotions and how you created us. We ask that as a result of this class that we would be better able to engage with our own emotions and also the emotions of those around us who are hurting, those who are also joyful, and people all sorts of colors in between. We ask that as a result of this class we would be better minded from the Bible and that we would be a better service and help to others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Emotions, I think we can all say, are a little bit strange, right? Uh, They're strange in the way that they make us behave, in ways that we really don't want to, whether we like it or not. Strange in that they can help us see and do things that we would never have done without them. And they're strange in that most of us don't know or even stop to ask why we are feeling what we are feeling most of the time, I think. And perhaps this morning your struggle is maybe with anxiety, or perhaps maybe you're just a person who feels just distressed a lot, right, just throughout life. Or maybe on the other hand, you, you would describe your feelings or your life as mostly boring. Or maybe you've just never thought about your emotions like at all, right? We have a whole range of spectrum in this room. It'd be interesting to kind of peg where you feel you're at on the spectrum for emotions. But whether or not we know it, uh, sometimes we just don't like or know how we feel at all. And for many Christians, we often find ourselves more disturbed by our emotions than even non-Christians are. Some Christians often see negative emotions, uh, like the ones that make you feel bad, as as signs of spiritual failure, right? Um, If you grew up like me, uh, anxiety is sometimes seen as proof that you just don't trust God enough, right? Have you ever heard that before? Like, oh, you have anxiety? You just don't trust God enough. Uh, Grief is a failure to rest in God's good purposes for your life. And and anger is really just plain old selfishness. And and I think these are are common, oversimplified ways of of thinking about these, these negative emotions. And as a result, negative emotions, emotions that make you feel bad, Uh, are simply meant to be squashed, right, with a hammer. Just squash those emotions, repent of them, rather than explore them and think through what what are these emotions actually trying to communicate. It's not only negative emotions that we we struggle with either, is it, right? We, We struggle as Christians with even positive emotions. Happiness must be scrutinized for the the fear of loving the gift more than the giver, right? We're in a state of constant worry about loving something way too much or idolizing it. We're on edge about that. A a sense of accomplishment or satisfaction over a job well done, it might be just a cover for pride, right? Pride might be right around the corner of this good feeling I have. And so again, I'm even on edge about the good feeling I have about what I've done. And if you feel good for too long, It might mean you're selfish, right? And you're not truly in tune with the needs of others around you. And and because of this, it just seems that Christians just can't get it right when it comes to their emotions, like, at all. 
like both on both ends of the spectrum. We're constantly worrying about our emotions and how we feel. And emotions are complicated, aren't they? They're hard to untangle, even as this picture tries to communicate. It's all wrapped together. They're hard to untangle. And then you add to that the complexity of our culture, which values emotions more than anything in this world. It's more important than anything. And, and so it makes it all the more important for us as Christians, as we try to unravel all of this, to again, not merely pendulum swing from the opposite direction of our culture, but really respond biblically to our emotions that we experience each and every day. Responding to the God-given emotions that were created good in the beginning. So as we look at this topic of emotions for the next five weeks, uh, we'll do so based on the book called Untangling Emotions, right? The title, you can find this book on Amazon. Incredibly helpful book. And again, my, my main goal here is just to present the chapter content material before all of us for the next five weeks in a way that I hope serves us all well. It's kind of my take on what he says. Uh, he has tons of examples in there. So if there's anything confusing, it's likely because I'm not giving the millions of examples he does to like flesh out that point. But again, that would be a 10 to 15 week course then. So again, I'm condensing it to five weeks for, for all of us here. So as we look ahead then, here's what you can expect. Uh, for today, understanding emotions part one, what are emotions, right? What are they? What do emotions do? And then we're going to really look at the complexity of emotions because I think we're, we tend to oversimplify way more than we should. Next week, we're going to look at the effect of emotions on the body, emotions and the physiological reactions we have relating to others through emotions. And then that fun question, why can't I just control my emotions? Why can't I just say, body be happy, you know? And why can't I control them like that? Just have full control over them. Week three, we'll look at engaging emotions, uh, the way our world kind of looks at it, engages with them, and then how we ought to engage with emotions. And then weeks four and five, we're going to slow down, and we're going to deal with some of the hardest emotions that we often wrestle with. Engaging fear engaging anger, engaging grief, guilt, and shame. And, and by God's grace, we'll be able to really work through these emotions better as Christians and to also help one another when we go through these very, very common emotions we all experience. So again, just for today, our goal is to understand what are emotions? You know, where do they come from? What do they do? And then really explore the complexity of them. That's our goal here for today. So what do we need then to understand about emotions as we come to week one here, understanding them? First, we need to realize emotions are not black and white, okay? They are not black and white, inherently good or evil on their own. Context is key for all the emotions we experience. If you think about it, it becomes obvious, but sometimes, again, it was not obvious growing up. There were certain emotions that were just bad, evil, and sinful, right? That's not the case as we look at the Bible. So first, they're not black and white. For instance, we can't call joy or happiness always a good or positive thing. And we can't say sadness or guilt are always a bad thing to experience. Sometimes it's good to feel bad, and it's bad to feel good. And in the Bible, we often see these negative emotions such as anger, sorrow, dismay, and fear all have their proper place within the Christian. And this is clearly seen in the life of Jesus, as we'll explore here this morning. 
And so while many of us in this room feel uncomfortable with our negative emotions, and we sometimes want to just, you know, like I said, squash them, write them off, we can't do that. We shouldn't immediately jump to the conclusion that something is wrong with us whenever we feel bad or sad or mad. We shouldn't always think, if only I had more faith, you know, a a better perspective, better strength of character, I wouldn't feel this way. Or, or at least I'd get over it much quicker. We shouldn't think that way. Instead, as we look at the Bible, it takes a radically different view. And unlike our, our inherent assumption that, that the most faithful people will be the ones that are most carefree, emotionally upbeat people, the scripture is actually filled with aching, grieving saints who, who tear their clothes and they sit in ashes as the world gets turned upside down, right? You think about these examples of, of the people of God throughout history. And the basic idea in the Bible is this. If you care, if you truly care about others and the kingdom of God and the mission of God in this world, you will be and you should be full of sorrow when you or those you love are injured, suffer loss, or die. You ought to feel angry in the presence of injustice. Your heart should beat faster when your family is in danger or there is something wrong with you. And grief, yes, grief is often the right feeling to have that honors God. And to not grieve at times would actually be dishonoring to him. It means you don't actually care like you should. So sometimes it's good to feel bad and sometimes it's bad to feel good, right? So just for one moment, putting it on the, the opposite spectrum, the opposite side of the coin, to be glad when someone else suffers a setback because it gets you ahead might be wrong, right? Proverbs twenty four seventeen and 8. Don't gloat when your enemy falls. Don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles, or the Lord will see, be displeased, and turn his wrath away from him. And again, to feel content and happy because you have enough heroin for another couple of days, even though you're about to lose your kids, is, is atrocious. It's wrong to feel good in such a situation. And we could come up with, with many other like scenarios and situations. And so to reiterate the point once more, all of our emotions, all of them, including the negative ones, play a very, very important part in our lives in this broken world. For they really tell us that something is wrong. They tell us that something is wrong. And so where happiness, joy, and peace, and and contentment look around us and conclude that things are as they should be, so disgust, annoyance, discouragement, and fury are designed to identify where things are broken and really need to be repaired. And so our emotions, then all of them, both the good and the bad, are meant to give us the chance to share God's heart purpose and his perspective in this watching world. So this is the first thing we need to understand. This is the the preface, right? Not all emotions are, it's all context, right? Context about our emotions. This brings us then to emotions. What are emotions? I looked up a scientific definition, and let me tell you what, it's not going to help you. (laughs) Go ahead, Google search, what are emotions? 
you'll get some sort of answer like it's a physiological response that results in a psychological state of mind or being or something to that effect. Okay, it doesn't tell you really anything. You read it, it's like, what is that about? <laughs> um, but as we look at philosophy, and we look at the history and debate about emotions, we need to know where they come from to kind of begin to understand what they are. Obviously, it's something we feel, right? We feel emotions, uh, but it's like trying to explain to a person who's been blind from birth, like, what the color green is. Like, it's the color of trees. Well, I can't see. You have to experience emotions to kind of understand them. They're implied. They're implicit. It's hard to, to really kind of describe them without experiencing them. But as we look again at, at the philosophical debates of the history over emotions, uh, the authors of the book kind of paint in very two very broad strokes about, about the debate about emotions and where they come from. And again, this is, again, way oversimplified. The first theory suggests that emotions originate in our bodies as physiological impulses which our minds give meaning and shape to. And so emotions are kind of part of our animal instinct and nature. They're not to be trusted at all. And so if you've ever seen uh, Star Trek, you, you know Spock, he's half Vulcan, half human. He controls his human emotions with his Vulcan mind. If you don't understand Star Trek, it doesn't help you at all, I'm sorry. But you don't trust your emotions, they're from the body, and they need to be mastered. And the second theory that's been debated is the mind is the engine responsible for driving our emotions. Our emotions simply reflect our values, what we already believe. And so if you're troubled by your emotions, all you need to do is just have a change of mind, a change of thinking. Um, so Lion King, Hukuna uh, Matana, or however that song goes, right? Um, it means no worries for the rest of your days. Just have a change of mind. Things will get better. Um, that's kind of this. It originates in the mind. And so these are two theories of where emotions come from in the past. And, and the question is, does the body produce emotions or does the mind produce emotions, right? That's kind of it. And maybe you're even wondering, why does this matter, right? Like, who cares? Whatever. Why does this matter? And it matters because depending on how we answer this question... Uh, will really, really largely determine how we help others and ourselves navigate emotions, work through them. If emotions simply come from the mind, then all we need to do is what? Change our thinking, right? That's all we need to do. But if it comes from the body, then we need to change something biologically with a person and how they feel. I think we can begin to see some of the ramifications of how we answer this question. And so coming back to the question, do emotions originate in the mind or the body? Uh, the answer is likely both, okay? Big surprise. Both. Both and we're intricately tied together. And so one affects the other, the other affects the other, right? So we need to understand that both of them together work to form our emotions. And because of this, as we navigate our emotions, understanding that they come from our body as well as our mind, our thinking, our values, when we're trying to help one another— and even ourselves, sometimes the body will be the primary culprit for a person's emotional distress. And uh, other times, our minds and beliefs will be the most powerful factor. So it's important to try to understand this when we're trying to work through our emotions or helping another person. Maybe you're completely missing it's a biological thing, right? Like if you don't even have a category for that, then what that person needs is maybe not your change of mind. Maybe they need sleep. Okay, <laughs> maybe they need sleep to help them feel better. Um, so <clears throat> just a brief, brief thing there. 
Uh, but any, any questions up to this point on emotions, history, what they are, the preface? Ask me a break just to drink. Yeah, Ruth. Yeah, working together. Mm. Yeah, it's a both and. Don't oversimplify one to the other. Yeah, and it amazes me that there are many people who miss this. It's like, this is clearly a spiritual problem. You're just not thinking right. And it's like, mm, it's both and. Let's evaluate what they're doing with their bodies, too. Um, very much both. Good. Okay. So it's hard, again, to kind of define what emotions are. They're more implied in understanding and meaning. And these are a couple of the different ideas uh, that go back far in history, all the way back to Plato and beyond. Um, so this is just where we're forming the base work for where we're going. The next question that we want to ask then is, what are emotions? But then more so, what are the function of emotions? What do emotions actually do? Whereas the Bible doesn't give us like a scientific definition of what emotions are, it's way more concerned about what emotions are supposed to do, right? And as we consider the text of Scripture, we learn that emotions communicate, really, first, what we value. Emotions communicate what we value. We look to the example of Jesus with Lazarus in John 11. And it's here that we find that Jesus is very sad and sorrowful. Jesus is sorrowful because he sees the pains of sorrow and death, and, and the pains has caused Mary and Martha and the surrounding people. He loves these people. He cares for them. And he, his tears visibly demonstrate this reality. His tears communicate value of these people and what they're going through. Again, we see Jesus' emotions on display when it comes to the little children in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. If you recall this incident, the, the, the people, the parents are trying to bring their children to Jesus, that he might touch them. But his own disciples, what do they do? They rebuke the parents. They rebuke them and say, stop bringing your children to Jesus. He doesn't have time for them. And when Jesus saw it, he was angry. He was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children Come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as this. He was angry because he loved them. His anger shows the value of the children. So the same is true for us. And on top of these examples, there are times over and over and over again in the Old Testament about God's anger against the nations, which are, which are making his people suffer unrighteously. And again, in a similar way, all these variety of emotions, whether sorrow, whether anger, whether joy, all of them communicate, in a sense, what we value, though it is not always immediately evident. I think a clear example of this truth comes uh, when we look at children, young children and something as simple as a sucker or a lollipop, whatever you call it these days, you know, that, that candy on a stick, right, lollipop. Uh, I'm not sure if this still occurs today, but w when you go to the bank, right, the drive-thru, uh, what do they do for your kids, right? Some, they give you a lollipop if they see the kid. I don't know if they do that today. Maybe they don't. But 
They do? They do? Okay. They still do. Excellent. Love that as a kid. There was five of us, uh, and we get lollipops for all five of us kids, and we stopped fighting, right? Um, just to eat our lollipop. But as it so happens, if you're a parent, you, you know if this has happened, if, if that kid <laughs> drops their lollipop on the ground, what happens with them? They are sad, right? Sometimes crying. Um, because they lost what they loved, what they valued. Their tears show what they loved, and they lost it. Their emotions show what they value. But again, say that child lost their <laughs> lollipop because their brother or sister, you know, smacked it out of their hand. Are they sorrowful anymore? Are they, are they sad? No, they're angry, right? How dare you made me lose my lollipop? I cannot stand you. I'm angry. Look at this injustice. And of course, again, different scenario. The child doesn't get the lollipop color they wanted. I wanted the red one. They got the red one. I wanted that. Now there's envy, right? And in all of these emotions, what are we seeing? We're seeing the value of that lollipop to the child through a variety of emotions in different contexts and situations. Our emotions show, communicate what we value. And so the point is this. If you get what you love, you are happy. If you don't, then all of these other emotions are at play. The child's love for the lollipop doesn't change what their emotions do based on how the love thing, whether they get it or not, really. And so while we grow up and we mature into adults, our, our feelings are often still guided by what we love and value at the core of our being. The core dynamic of our emotions often remain the same across the board. And so our feelings express our view of how well our situation is based on our loved thing and whether or not we have it or not. So our emotions first communicate what we value. Okay, we'll come back to that later. Emotions then also help us to connect with others. As we see other people's emotions at play and really at work, and if we're paying attention to them, our emotions reveal to others and, and to ourselves who we are and what we care about. And then it's this emotional expression that we often find connection with others around us. We find connection with those who love the same things we love, who are passionate about the same things as we are, who feel the same way as we do about the things we love and care about and the things we dislike. And so as we share these emotional connections uh, with others around us based on similar hobbies, interests, or what have you, uh, we develop, we enter into a deeper relationship with each other. We form a deeper bond as brothers and sisters as we share emotional experiences with each other based on what we love. Um, I think that as you take a moment here and, and you think about the deepest relationships that you have with others in your life, my guess is it's those whom you've shared some of your deepest thoughts and your deepest feelings with, those whom you have an emotional bond with. I know it's true, at least for me, maybe not for you, but I think there's good reason for that. Because sharing in the experiences of others is really fundamental to the very nature of love. And I think we see this really in the Bible. For instance, in Paul, in, in Romans 12, 9, Paul writes, let love be genuine, right? Let it be without hypocrisy. Let it be real and genuine and substantive. And then he follows that with a list of many ways genuine love is expressed in relationships. And a part of that is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. 
And in other words, one of the ways sincere love is shared is by emotionally entering in to the experiences of others. And when they are sad, you enter into their sadness with them, right? And when they're happy, you share that happiness. And I think this makes sense to all of us implicitly. If you love others, you don't just understand their experience, but you're personally moved by it too. And again, I think this is exactly what we see with Jesus at Lazarus's tomb, right? It's not just, yeah, I know I'm about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's moved by the pains that he sees from the people who are mourning. And he mourns with those who mourn. He enters into their experience of sadness and sorrow. He connects with them emotionally. And we need to do the same, especially if we're prone to kind of push emotions aside like, like I was growing up and to squash them and to not feel them. Rather than seeing emotions as opportunity to very much enter in to closer relationship with others around us, to feel for them, to care for them genuinely and sincerely. And now for some of you in this room, as I look around, you're very good at this, right? You're naturals at this. You don't even have to try. You were just born with that. But then there are others of you like me that had to be developed. I saw emotions as a dangerous thing rather than seeing them as an opportunity to connect with people. I'm still working on that till today. But as Christians who care for each other genuinely, we want this passage to be true of us, to genuinely enter into the world of others and care for them, not just with our head, but emotionally as we bond together in love. So emotions then communicate what we value. They help connect us to others. And of course, emotions motivate us. That is, they give us the physical energy and motivation to do the things that we need to do. Uh, so if you've ever experienced anger, I think all of us have, you've likely noticed how you, you, know, you just feel suddenly just charged with like a lightning bolt, right? Just, just the rush of energy that comes through your soul. Your heart begins to pound. Your temperature rises. Your adrenaline begins to rush through your veins. Anger calls you to action for purpose to fix something. And the same is true when we become afraid, right? Your heart becomes, begins to pound. You know, you maybe begin to sweat. Your mouth goes dry. Your, your hands, if you're like me, get cold and clammy, right? Uh, there's a different type of energy there too. But it's more like running or fleeing. And fear is meant to help you get away from a dangerous situation. If a bear is chasing you, you can run way faster when you're scared than if you're not. On the flip side, then, a lack of emotion, not having any emotion at all, can also mean um, a lack of energy or will to act. If you've ever suffered from depression, or you know people who have suffered from depression, you know how debilitating it can be, right? Not only are you in, you know, emotional pain, but you just find it incredibly difficult to do, to do anything, right? It's hard to get out of bed, hard to interact with others. You just want to isolate all your days. And a lack of emotion, we can even describe this as depression, can be very debilitating. And so we see then that emotions, having them, can either motivate us or not. It can do the opposite. And, but it's a way that God helps us to really then put our values into action. It's a way of constantly pushing us to further God's purposes in our lives to connect with others, and to 
to help others when they're down and out. And then finally here, emotions are an expression then of worship. Every emotion you feel reflects your love or what you worship. I think this is easy to see in terms of joy, thanks, and awe, but it's equally true of sorrow, guilt, and distress. So where godly joy, for example, flows out of a heart that treasures what God treasures and sees God's purposes advancing, godly distress comes from a heart that treasures what God treasures and sees his will being violated. Okay? So godly distress is the cry of a heart that honors God's desires, honors God's will as right, and is so personally committed to seeing God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven that it causes anguish of spirit to see the opposite. I sometimes wonder if we actually have godly distress at all in the life of the Christian. Are we broken to see the hurt and pain all around us? Do we have that, that heart of God in this? Is there godly distress in our life? Or are we just so focused on godly joy that we miss that part altogether? So what we need to realize then is that godly joy, godly distress, both reflect godly worship. And all unpleasant emotions can work in this way, right? Righteous guilt honor, honors the goodness of God's law, and righteous grief has tasted and seen that God is good and that the loss of his good gifts is painful. And so because worship of God places ultimate value on him, all godly painful emotions, again, actually serve to communicate that value more firmly establish us in relationship with him, and again, motivate us to obey. So this is a little bit then of what emotions do as we look at the broad scheme of the scripture. This is what they are meant to do. Help us worship God, every bit of them. Now, even if we've followed 100% up to this point, uh, emotions are still terribly difficult to figure out. We haven't untangled them yet. Um, it's hard to figure out what you're feeling or what they're, what they're trying to communicate. Knowing all of this, it's still hard to figure out what they're communicating, right? Simply understanding where they come from and what they do doesn't necessarily mean that you will understand them as you experience them. And while we are sometimes struggle to understand our feelings because we are blind to what we are really loving and what we really value, more of the confusion has to do with a different source. And that's what we're going to talk about here next. But before we get there, the complexity of emotions with this, do we have any, any questions up to this point about what emotions do? Yep. Generally speaking, emotions are expression of worship. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could, I, I could put that can be every, but I'm describing broadly. Yeah, that's, that's a good point to make. Yeah, it's always, well, yeah, I mean, maybe if you have, a, like, when I worked in the psych ward, we had a manic patient. Okay, like, his brain was broken. Like, he was absolutely crazy. Would I say that exuberance is ex describing worship? I mean, maybe if you define it in a certain way, but he, he just needed biological help at that point. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I've met many people who are just broken physically. It's hard to say, yeah, he has a worship disorder. No, he's a biological problem here, probably more so than a worship disorder. So, uh, yeah, it depends on how you're defining that. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Any other questions? All right, stick with me here. We're going to now talk about the complexity of emotions. Okay, understanding this is a baseline, generally speaking. But as we begin to look at the complexity of emotions, um, if you're human, you understand how hard it is to figure out why we are feeling, what we are feeling, and sometimes we just don't have a clue at all. And this confusion about what you are feeling is actually very, very, very normal, okay? If you're confused about how you feel, that's actually probably a normal thing. It's actually more abnormal to know why you're feeling what you're feeling. So why is it normal to be confused about what you're feeling? And it's because you, as a human, love many different things in your life, right? You love a ton of different things all around you. And as we already said, if what you love and care about shapes what you feel, then the fact that you love many, many things means you are always going to be simultaneously responding to different pieces of the world around you differently, okay? You love many different things, and they're all pulling on your heartstrings. And it makes it difficult for us to discern why it is that w the way we feel we do. With a variety of loves, a variety of situations all around you, both good and bad, they're all playing into that that thing called emotions, what you're feeling in the moment. And this also explains why we often have different reactions to the same exact incident on different days, right? Depending on what we have going that day, if it was incredibly stressful, it was a manic Monday, you come home, your kid spills milk on the table, you could just blow up at him. It has more to do with maybe your terrible day. Or another day where everything went right, he spills milk and you're just so graceful to him, you're merciful to him, you're loving. And so our emotions are often determined by a variety of factors, not just one. Now, the tendency for many of us is rather than seeing all these things pulling on our hearts throughout our life, um, we, we tend to oversimplify our emotions in one of two ways, okay? And this, we, we got to be aware of this and guard against it. First, there are those who ignore their emotions or have this mindset of just getting over it, okay? These people deal with life by taking action and focusing on what they can do rather than what they feel. And this is not always a bad thing. But this way of life can happen for so long that they're not even aware that they have emotions or what they're feeling at all. They feel like chasing down these emotions is a complete and utter waste of time and space. So this is one end of the spectrum that we want to avoid. Like, ignore your emotions. They're not important. Squash them. Get over them. Don't have them. Okay, that was me growing up. There is then the other spectrum, okay? And it's comical that God had me marry Shannon because she is on this end of the spectrum. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> it's fun. But there are those who focus on their feelings intensely, okay? Like intensely focus on their emotions. And it dominates everything else in their lives. Sometimes these people condemn themselves as the bad guy. Because I had a negative emotional reaction, there must be something wrong with me. Or at other times, they condemn everyone and everything else around them, or, or they seesaw from self-condemnation to then condemning everyone else around them back and forth. Instead of sifting through the many different aspects of the situation, 
that their negative reaction is based on whether it's a bad night's sleep, a uh, child in trouble at school, uh, an inconsiderate coworker that they have, or just the strain of packing and moving. Um, all of these things that can upset you, they, they often take a all-or-nothing approach. Like they ignore all these other factors. So if it's bad, then it's all bad. If it's good, then it's all good. If I'm wrong, then I am completely wrong. And if I'm bothered by something you've done, you're dangerous. And so because of this oversimplification, it almost always misses aspects of what is actually going on in their life. And it leads to confusion about why they feel upset. But what we have to realize then is first, wherever you are, wherever you tend towards on this spectrum, we need a better approach to our emotions rather than trying to oversimplify in this way. We need to instead realize that we have mixed emotions, right? Mixed emotions. Our emotions, again, are not black and white. It's not just one or the other. It's often a combination of so many emotions. And realizing that our emotions are mixed equips us to work through our emotions properly rather than being overtly black and white about what we're feeling in any given moment. So as we realize that our emotions are complicated um, and that they are jumbled together, all sorts of emotions, we then identify with Jesus who had mixed emotions himself in his life and ministry. One example of Jesus' mixed emotions comes from Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is the passage where Jesus lays into the Pharisees with vengeance, okay? He comes at them for their hypocrisy and their hard hearts with his sledgehammer-like rebuke. So he's going after them for about 30 verses here, right? Just going after them. And then after 30 verses comes one of the most heart-breaking laments in all of Scripture as his heart overflows with compassion for the very people he has just chastised. And he says here, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. So Jesus' love for these leaders, these people, leads him to be furious with the corruption of the leaders. But it's this very same love that simultaneously leads them to deeply grieve for these leaders who are blind to what could heal their hearts. We see full-throttle anger mixed together with heart-wrenching compassion and mixed with profound grief pouring out of Jesus' heart all at the same time. Mixed emotions. And yet, just like Jesus, as we encounter many similar situations, we have this same type of reaction, mixed emotions. And it's fitting. It's right that our emotions should be mixed. That should not be a cause of concern. Because mixed emotions are the right response to a mixed world that we live in. We live in a mixed world. We have to understand that. It's filled with good and bad. And because sin and death are here, we should have mixed emotions about that. Life in this world means the delightful glories of God's handiwork are always getting splattered by the mud of sin and death and suffering. 
And so we have no choice then as Christians but to mourn and rejoice, both mourn and rejoice. And as we understand the mixed nature of emotions, process them and work through them. Now, I just want to give a brief illustration of this here um, from the book. And we talk about the story of a woman named Ellen. Ellen has two daughters. She's the mother of two daughters. And she was getting help from the author of this book. She felt absolutely guilty and awful that she just couldn't seem to be happy for her daughter who was about to graduate. She felt like a terrible mother because she just didn't feel joy that she was graduating and couldn't celebrate with her. And so she condemned herself harshly as a cold and unloving mother for, again, not feeling happy and joyful for her daughter like she felt she should. And because she didn't have this joy and happiness, she must be an awful mother. That was her reasoning. That was her rationale. That was her logic. But what, what they, she needed to understand was that her emotions were also being tempered by the reality of her other daughter that she cared about deeply. And her other daughter had a major surgery that was coming up and was serious and would determine whether or not she would get well or not. And so what Ellen failed to realize was that her concern for her other daughter, who was about to undergo this major surgery, was keeping really these feelings of happiness and joy at bay. And so while Ellen loved both of her daughters, the gravity of the one situation outweighed the emotions of joy in the other. And so what she needs to recognize first is that we can experience multiple emotions at once, and in fact, we are. We are always experiencing multiple emotions at once, even though it's likely we'll only have one dominant emotion that is displayed over others at a certain time. But just because we have one emotion doesn't mean we're not necessarily happy or something. It just means that there's something more pressing or concerning in that moment. And so even as we close here this morning, we need to view our emotions then like streams of paint flowing into a bucket rather than trying to fit our emotions into neat little boxes on a shelf, right? If you've ever been to Home Depot and you, you get a mixed color, right? Uh, they have a machine, a computer, that'll, that'll develop this custom color for you. And it mixes all sorts of paints to get that exact shade of color, that shade of violet or purple or whatever it is for you. They're mixing like six or seven different colors in that moment. And your emotional state of being what you have today are like the streams of emotion of paint pouring into you. Except instead of a few nozzles pouring into what we call emotions, it's thousands of different pipes carrying color into that mixture of what you feel today. And so our emotions then are really a mix of your responses to everything around you and your experiences from the past, present, and what you expect in the future. I'm going to cut half of this here for sake of time. But what we need to understand then is that as our heart is responding to our values across the board of what we love, we just need to realize the complexity of it. We can't oversimplify, and that's the main thing I want to communicate. Uh, we need to be aware of the complexity of the thousands of things that affect our emotions. Uh, so as we close again this morning, just three things I want us to reflect on. Reflect on your own emotions with your spouse, your friend, or by yourself? And can you identify what emotions are going into that bucket? 
Can you identify what emotions you're feeling right now today? And as we try to identify, like I feel this way and this way and this way, that's the first step of understanding our values and working through them. Now, it's impossible to identify the thousands of things that are at play in our own hearts, but it's a starting point. And again, while we won't be able to exhaustively figure out all of them, nor are we called to, we should bring what we do understand to God in prayer and ask him to help us to work through it and to entrust our feelings to God, who truly, genuinely cares about all that we're going through. And as we do this, he will begin to help unravel and untangle the complexity of the emotions that we often feel in this mixed and broken world. So next week, we'll continue to explore what emotions are, uh, specifically as it pertains to our body, relating to others, and then, that, of course, the trouble of controlling our emotions. Why can't I control my emotions? Uh, but for now, let's, let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we are so thankful for the way that you have designed us. You've designed us to respond with emotions so that we might better understand who you are. And so we ask that you would help us with our emotions to communicate your worth and your value. May we not oversimplify them to our own detriment, uh, but may we see the intricacies of how you have made us. And may we then be able to process them, work through them, heal from past hurts and pains, and also be able to work through present problems today in a way that honors you and glorifies you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right.